Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.41 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the last day of April the 30th, 2020. And this is episode 410, my God, 410 of Bitcoin. And I bless the gains down in Africa. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that more. <clears throat> A few words on academia. Just to start it off. Um, it used to be the case that getting a college degree was going to do all kinds of shit for you, right? And the better the degree that you got, the more money that you were going to earn. That entire model is gone. Uh, and I'm not going to get into why I'm going to go off on a rant a little bit about academia, but, and I'm also actually going to try not to rant about it. I just want to warn any of the younger listeners out there that there are, you find yourself, you know, if you're in your, if you're in your twenties or God forbid, if you're listening to me in your teens, you probably need to stop and listen to somebody who's a little bit more, uh, oh, I don't know, congenial or whatever. But if you are one of the younger listeners and you're either in college or you are uh, planning on going to college because people told you that the only way you're going to be able to get a job is with a college degree. This shit is not fucking true. All right. Uh, plumbing. Yeah, I know. Nobody wants to be a plumber because they think plumbers suck and they don't want to, you know, they don't get, they don't get paid that much. You know what they get paid? About twice as much as uh, a college professor who's in the junior faculty. That's how much they get paid. And some plumbers that I've met are millionaires. Why? because they decided that they didn't want to plumb for themselves, hired other plumbers so that they would do the plumbing for them and basically take a cut of their jobs by opening up a plumbing service that has more than one plumber. Welders, almost almost a dinosaur at this point. And yes, while generally speaking, you'll, you'll, you could be able to make the argument that, well, robots. Yeah, I get that. But for right now, a lot of the welding that really needs to be done is highly specific and isn't something that's just like a cut and paste kind of thing that you can program into a computer. Like uh, well, like fixing somebody's trailer. Trailers come in all shapes and sizes. We don't have the AI and like a portable ro- robotic welding thing uh, yet that would be able to look at uh, you know, two different kind, completely different kinds of trailers made out of two completely different types of materials and be able to fix, you know, a, a failure in the frame in two different places on, on both of these things. Now, a human can do that shit real easily if you know how to weld. Now, both of these things have apprenticeships. It, like, it, and you can go apprentice as a plumber or you can go apprentice as a welder. And 
it does. I mean, it's like you get paid shit, but you're not taking out a student loan for it. And when you get to the other side of it, guess what? You're a competent, trained welder and people are going to want to hire you because guess what? People need shit welded. Hell, I got a neighbor up in Colorado that changed his entire life by teaching himself how to weld. And he was middle age. And he gets better money now than when he was flying human organs to hospitals. That's what he did. He was a pilot and he was specifically being hired by hospitals to uh, fly live human organs for transplant. And he's getting better money staying at home, working out of his garage, welding people shit in the mountains in Southwest Colorado. And he's not even living in a big town, guys. He's living in a village up in, you know, up by a lake in southwestern Colorado. I mean, come on. It's not, it has, it has never really been necessary to get a college degree unless engineering, like aerospace, engineering, electrical engineering, you know, computer science. Although you, there's a lot of places that you can learn computer science without going to, to college. And that's becoming more, more evident. But like a medical doctor, you want to be a neurosurgeon? You're probably going to want to end up with a college education and then go get your MD. Uh, law school, you're probably going to want to get, you know, a bachelor's in philosophy and, and then go on to law school or something like that. There are a lot of places that college still makes sense. But to make the blanket statement that college is going to get you out of whatever hell that you're in is, is a bad idea. You really need to examine what's going on, okay? So I'm just, I'm just saying, I had a little, we have had a little incident with, uh, <laughs> with my wife's college and, or university. And the more that we look at it, <laughs> and especially what's been going on with COVID, the more, <clears throat> the more I, I think that the institution of higher learning is about to collapse. And the only thing that's going to survive are the very largest schools with the largest endowments. And even those guys may not survive because their payrolls are so huge. I mean, you're getting, you know, the president of, of UT makes a shit ton of money, a lot more now than, than they did just 10 to 15 years ago. So the whole landscape has changed financially and the smaller institutions, I, I don't see them surviving. You know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying, be aware, be careful, and actually think, run an analysis on the college you want to go to, how much it's going to cost, what the job is going to be on the other side of that, and how much it's going to pay. It doesn't make sense. If it doesn't make sense, consider being a plumber. And I'm not saying that, you know, I know a lot of plumbers and a lot of them are smart. You know why? Because they got to figure shit out on the fly. Every house is built different. Every plumbing system in, in every house is, is different. You got to think, you know, and plumbers are needed. And also there's a shortage of plumbers. So don't, you know, you see somebody who says, well, you could always be a plumber. I wouldn't turn my nose up at it. I'm just saying, just, you know, I'm, I'm just saying peer to peer Bitcoin trading rising across Africa. Again, we're blessing the gains down in Africa. Bitcoin was developed with the intent of putting financial control back in the hands of the people. 
Dion Guillerme is writing this one for BitcoinMagazine.com, by the way. In the years since its inception, Bitcoin adoption has grown worldwide. Recently, there has been a sharp increase in peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin trading across Africa. According to data from Useful Tulips, Ghana and Kenya have seen a steady increase in Bitcoin trading, overtaking South Africa to become the second and third leading cryptocurrency markets in the continent of Africa during the first quarter of 2021. Nigeria, which recently saw the government crack down on Bitcoin, still leads the continent in Bitcoin trading volume. Trading volume in Nigeria surpassed $99.1 million between January and March 2021, followed by Kenya with 38.4 million, Ghana with 27.4 million, and South Africa with 25.8 million dollars. In 2020, Nigeria had a record-breaking 309 million in Bitcoin trading volume, more than three times that of South Africa's 98.4 million for the entire year. <coughs> The rise in volume in Ghana and Kenya can be attributed to favorable regulatory environments. Ghana's central bank introduced regulations benefiting Bitcoin companies and startups, and the central bank of Kenya is reportedly considering adopting Bitcoin as its reserve currency, likely fueled by recent large investments in Bitcoin by companies such as MicroStrategy and Tesla, which solidified its use as a store of value. Okay, the central bank of Kenya reportedly considering adopting Bitcoin as reserve currency. Take that with as many grains of salt, whole truckloads of salt that you can. All right, we've been getting some weird shit about stuff like Facebook. You know, it was like, okay, let, let, let's break for a sec. The Facebook stuff that came over Bitcoin Twitter, I think, I think this is bad. And you do whatever you want to do. I can't control you and that's good. But my God, people, you know, it was like, all of a sudden, we start chattering about Facebook owning Bitcoin and that they're going to announce it without a shred of evidence at all to the point that it makes it to freaking CNBC and they start reporting on it. And then what happens? Facebook reveals that they're going to have fun staying poor, not buying Bitcoin, and we get a massive spike up and a five-minute spike back down. It was actually quite impressive when you, when you think about it. It also goes to show how much liquidity is actually available because nothing was impeding the rise up from the rumor and the crash from the news. Keep that in mind too. And then yesterday, Alibaba, people started changing their, their Twitter profiles to Chinese businessmen with laser eyes, changing their name to Chinese characters, and then tweeting out, whole tweets in Chinese characters where you had to click on it and use the translate button to figure out what the fuck they were saying. And they, what they were saying was that Alibaba is good, has bought 20 billion with a B dollars worth of Bitcoin. No, not as far as I can tell. Although thankfully this time we didn't have a rise up on the news. My advice is stop doing that shit. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, was it really worth it? I mean, are we really that bored? Okay, yes, we're really that bored. But when you get so bored that you start taking, you know, potentially dangerous actions, probably not good. Let's continue. Meanwhile, the Nigerian government has instituted a nationwide crackdown on cryptocurrencies in recent months as the central bank of Nigeria is banned or Nigeria banned banks from processing Bitcoin related transactions. Have fun staying poor. The South African government has also criticized Bitcoin after the recent collapse of the global mirror trading international Ponzi scheme, which was based in the country. 
African citizens' appetite for Bitcoin has grown in recent years as financial uncertainty, rising poverty, government corruption, and depreciating currencies have pushed individuals across the continent to look for more stable investments. The current global pandemic and recent surge of Bitcoin's value may have been factors as well. Yeah, the whole world's in a shit show, so it doesn't surprise me. But the gains down in Africa are real. All right, the gains in the third world are real. In fact, they're so real that in my opinion, and I've said this before, the importance of these countries on the continent of Africa, the Balkans, places like all the way over to Transylvania and like, uh, oh, I don't know, the, the, you know the, bro the broken off Eastern European countries that had, you know, that were loosely tied to Russia. And then after the collapse of the, the uh, Berlin Wall, they just kind of went their own way. And all of Central and South America and, mi and many other places too. But those are the ones that, that I really look at. Eastern Europe, Balkan stuff, you know, the, the little countries like that, all of the continent of Africa and all of Central America and South America. Those, ladies and gentlemen, are the places to be watching for Bitcoin adoption. The West has, even though it's, we know it's corrupt and we know it's dirty, has a very functional and extraordinarily robust financial system. Yes, they are burning it to the ground. Yes, it is on fire. Yes, little bits of it are starting to turn to glowing ash. I get that shit. But the adoption curve that I'm looking for is going to be based around second and third world countries and not in the first world, the West, Australia, China, New Zealand, you know, India, shit like that. <clears throat> I'm not worried about it. They can do whatever the hell that they want. <coughs> the rest of the world is the most important. All right, moving on. Let's get to this one. A major Latin American marketplace to accept Bitcoin payments in real estate. See, I got I got these stacked up in the proper order this time. Andrew Asmosgi has this one from Decrypt. Uh, it is now possible to buy real estate in Argentina and Uruguay with Bitcoin through Mercado Libre the leading Latin American online marketplace. And as per an announcement from the company, Mercado Libre has launched a dedicated crypto section within its platform, featuring offers for apartments, houses, and plots of land in the city of Buenos Aires, the greater Buenos Aires area, Santa Fe, and Cordoba. Properties are priced in U.S. dollars, but once a potential buyer indicates their interest, they can contact the real estate agency to agree on a conversion rate to make the transaction in Bitcoin, and they actually have it in, in the write-up BTC. Currently, the platform features 75 properties managed by seven real estate companies that have expressed their willingness to accept cryptocurrency as a payment method. According to Manuel Carretero, a commercial director for vehicles and real estate at Mercado Libre, quote, Bitcoin offers multiple advantages for real estate operations, both for the buyer and the seller. The company says it always uh, closely watch the market trends and expects that over time, more real estate companies will join the initiative. To mark the launch of its real estate crypto section, Mercado Libre hosted a webinar on cryptocurrencies and blockchain technologies, which was attended by around 300 real estate agencies and companies. Latin America is considered among the global leaders in terms of cryptocurrency adoption, with banking difficulties and depreciating fiat currencies being key factors behind that trend. According to a recent survey conducted by Visa, Latin Americans 
increasingly see cryptocurrencies as a payment method. In fact, 25% of the respondents said that they were eager to use digital assets. Meanwhile, the range of products and services that can be purchased with Bitcoin globally is growing. In recent months, it has expanded to include everything from Tesla to the most expensive property in London. However, with Bitcoin's price having increased by nearly 600% over the last year, it's open to the question whether anyone's prepared to use their Bitcoin for transactions rather than a simple store of wealth. Okay, well, that's a fair statement. Um, uh, I know the arguments on either side of that, that we're not ready for a unit of account or a medium of exchange yet. And well, some people just say it's not even a store of value either. Well, that's obviously bullshit. But I, I mean, I get the arguments. However, this is a pizza situation. This is a Laszlo pizza situation. Somebody's got to be first. And there will always be people that are willing to go first. I know, as crazy as it may sound, there's going to be somebody who, you know, throws a, a few million sats to the way of rent or, you know, even more sats to buying a piece of property. And from what I understand, Uruguay is rather beautiful. And if I've never been to a, Buenos Aires, but I've seen pictures and uh, sometimes like over the last few days, as Biden keeps opening his mouth, I keep thinking about going south. I'm talking about it, man. Okay. Bitcoin Titan MicroStrategy reports major growth in their first quarter. Dylan LeClaire has this out of Bitcoin magazine. MicroStrategy reported its quarterly earnings after market hours today, which in fact was yesterday, which emphasized its focused corporate strategy and the benefits of its ongoing Bitcoin standard first adopted on August the 11th, 2020. MicroStrategy's first quarter results were a clear example that our two-pronged corporate strategy to grow our enterprise analytics software business and acquire and hold Bitcoin is generating substantial shareholder value, per the report. Since shifting to a Bitcoin standard, uh, Microsoft or MicroStrategy equity has increased 385.59% while the price of Bitcoin has increased 369.03% uh, in the same time frame. Uh, MicroStrategy reported first quarter revenues of 122.9 million, a 10.3% increase, guys, or a 7.6% increase on a non-generally accepted accounting principles, or GAAP, G-A-A-P, constant currency basis, compared to the first quarter of 2020, while also reporting a gross profit of $100.4 million. Gross margins for the company came in at 81.7% compared to a gross margin of 78% in the first quarter of 2020. During the first quarter of 2021, MicroStrategy purchased approximately 20,857 Bitcoin at an aggregate price of $1.086 billion and an average purchase price of approximately $52,087 per coin. A vast majority of these purchases were enabled by 1.05 billion of 0% convertible senior notes, which were issued in February of this past quarter. The convertible notes are due in the year 2027 and do not bear any interest. The note also, or the note holds, the notes hold the optionality to be convertible into shares of MicroStrategy's Class A common stock at conversion price of $1,432.46 per share, which is quite a bit higher than their share price is showing right now. A classic example 
of a speculative attack, MicroStrategy's move to leverage 0% yielding debt to acquire Bitcoin presented a masterclass in using soft money obligations to acquire hard money assets. At the conclusion of the first quarter, MicroStrategy had cash and cash equivalents of $82.5 million as compared to $59.7 million as of December 31, 2020. The company's Bitcoin holdings are technically accounted for as intangible assets according to GAAP standards, which necessitates that the company's holdings be marked to market in the case of a downturn in the price of Bitcoin. As of April 28, 2021, MicroStrategy is currently holding approximately 91,579 Bitcoin, having added an additional 253 Bitcoin over the course of the second quarter. Going forward, MicroStrategy will continue to operate under a Bitcoin standard, showing public companies the benefits of operating a business on a sound money standard. So there you go. Not planning on selling anytime soon, but they could be forced into a liquidation if the price of Bitcoin falls beyond a certain percentage. So watch out for that shit. And it could happen. We could see it. I mean, everybody keeps talking about how this bull run is going to melt faces. And I'm sitting here going, when? When? And I'm not being pessimistic, but I, I do wonder, because I'm looking at the price and it's like, we've been we've been in the 50s for like, it seems like months. And I know it's not, but it does seem like months. It doesn't look like it's a bull run anymore, but that's just, that's just me probably just getting it all wrong. I, I get that. But I, I just hear person after person and podcast after podcast just saying, oh man, this bull run's going to kill you. And I'm like, when? I'm waiting for the knife. Please stab me to fucking death right now. Do it anytime. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Samuel Haig is writing this one for Cointelegraph. BNY Mellon Fund laments that it should have bought Bitcoin and not gold. Okay. Maybe a little bit of an exaggeration. Let's get into it. U.S.-based financial institution BNY Mellon, the world's largest custodian bank and asset servicing company, states that the recent performance of one of its exchange-traded funds, or ETS, was significantly impacted by its lack of exposure to companies investing in Bitcoin. See, not, not Bitcoin directly. The BNY Mellon Opportunistic Small Cap Fund gained 35% from September the 1st, 2020 through February the 28th, 2021, underperforming its benchmark, the Russell 2000 Index, which produced roughly 41.7% over the same period. Filings with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission indicate the firm laments not purchasing shares in leading business intelligence firm MicroStrategy, which invested billions into Bitcoin last year, holdings that have since grown to more than $4.8 billion dollars. The filings state, quote, fund performance was hurt as well by a decision not to own MicroStrategy, whose stock surged when it announced it had invested in Bitcoin, end quote. The document also notes that the fund's position in gold mining company, Alamos Gold, quote, hampered performance as shares were hurt by weak gold prices, end quote. According to ETF.com, 88 ETFs are currently exposed to MicroStrategy, including the sixth strongest performing fund of 2021 so far, the Amplify Transformational Data Sharing ETF, which is heavily exposed to crypto firms and is the single largest holder of MSTR by percentage allocation with 5.2% of its portfolio invested in the company that is MicroStrategy. On average, U.S.-based ETFs have allocated 0.57% of their capital to MicroStrategy. 
Since announcing its first Bitcoin investment in August, uh, MicroStrategy has accumulated $2.2 billion worth of BTC, which the firm's crypto stash having appreciated in value by 120%. Over the same period, the price of MSTR skyrocketed by 385% from 135 to 655 at the time of writing. In early February, MSTR was trading at a record high above 1,270. BNY small cap ETF typically invests a minimum of 80% of its assets into the stocks of companies with a low market capitalization uh, from the Russell 2000 index. Some of the fund's largest allocations include North American Airlines SkyWest, enterprise cloud provider Cloudera, and healthcare provider Arcadia. Or Acadia. Roughly 23% of its investments are in the industrial sector, 17.5% are in healthcare, 15.9% in tech, and 14.2% in financial services. After opening 2020 trading at roughly 27.5%, uh, the DSCVX fund crashed as low as 16 bucks during March as the economic impacts of the coronavirus became apparent globally. Since then, the fund has more than doubled in price to trade at more than 37 bucks. Despite regretting the lack of MSTR exposure of its opportunistic small cap fund, that's the DSCVX, BNY Mellon is making significant investments in the crypto sector, leading the $133 million Series C funding round of institutional crypto custodian Fireblocks last month. In February, BNY Mellon also announced plans to offer Bitcoin custody services. Yeah, you better because you just you just got burned. You got burned. Oh my God, you got burned. And yeah, you're. But it looks like they're going to rectify their situation. Why? Because they don't want to have fun staying poor. Just, just saying. All right, the node says bring on the Bitcoin ETFs. <coughs> This is out of Cointelegraph, written by Daniel Kuhn. Financial Times writer Pan Kwan Yuk makes the case that markets are too immature for a Bitcoin exchange-traded fund. There have been dozens of proposals put forward, beginning with the Winklevi and their failed bid eight years ago, which have all been summarily rejected. Typically, the United States Securities and Exchange Commission cites limited trading activity and the potential risk of market manipulation as reasons for shooting down these pro proposals. Bitcoin ETFs stand as the, quote, holy grail for the crypto industry because they provide a low-cost way for investors to access Bitcoin without the hassle of dealing with digital wallets and custodians. Quan Yuck notes. It ain't that big of a hassle, guys. Anyway, without writing off the possibility entirely, the industry is too big to ignore. She suggests the SEC take its time in determining now is the right time to introduce these financial products to U.S. investors. She says inexplicably that Bitcoin's liquidity problem stems from its design as there will only be 21 million BTC, meaning in a supply crunch, investors could find themselves locked into the shares. Real liquidity concerns exist in Bitcoin markets. It's an asset that most frequently trades behind the walls of centralized exchanges. Each exchange is essentially its own market, and those markets can have liquidity issues depending on the time of day or number of active traders. But taken as a whole, Bitcoin is remarkably liquid. Tesla CEO Elon Musk recently tweeted his auto manufacturer sold 10% of its BTC stash to prove it was a liquidity alternative to cash. Meanwhile, as the block's Frank Shapiro noted, Bitcoin spot activity is well over $1 trillion this month alone. 
when looking at the type of institutions looking to put forward a BTC ETF like Fidelity and Van Eck, it's unlikely that they would choose custodians with limited access to the market. Things can happen. The March 2020 Black Thursday event saw massive liquidations across the board, made worse from a supply crunch in particular assets, but that wasn't unique to crypto alone. Finally, a look just to our northern neighbor Canada, whose three Bitcoin ETFs immediately became among the most active financial products in the Toronto Stock Exchange. They had no issue hoovering up BTC either. It's hard to call any market immature that is now worth more than $2 trillion. I tend to agree. I mean, even though that 99.99% of this space is pure bullshit, which is sad, um, they, it can't be ignored. I, I, I wish you could ignore the bullshit part of it, but it's not going to be ignored because normies, they don't see the way that the hardcore Bitcoiners see. You know, and, and there's just more and more evidence of people aping into the very, very worst things possible because they're just, they're not really looking at fundamentals of these projects. We'll, we'll get to that in the train wrecked. And if you've seen my Twitter feed yesterday, you'll probably know what that is. In either event, let's, uh, oh shit, let's run the numbers. Futures and commodities from CNBC.com, uh, taking it on the chin in the flammable liquids area. Oil, West Texas Intermediate, is down by almost 2%, 1.89 to the downside, $63.78, however, which is still a pretty good price for a barrel of oil. Uh, Brent North Sea, uh, kind of behind to 1.5% to the downside, $67.53 for a barrel of that. Natural gas, more sideways than anything, 0.31% to the downside, almost $3 for a thousand cubic feet of that, $2.90 to be clear. Gold is up 0.062%, or sorry, $1,769.40. Silver down 0.36%, uh, $25.99. Platinum is up, God, uh, 1.74%. Copper is up 0.3%. Palladium is up 0.1, or sorry, 1.4%. My God. Agricultural futures are basically all down except for coffee, which is up by 0.63 percentage points. Uh, let's see here. Indices, they're all down, but not, not terrible, but it ain't going to be a great day either. 0.49% <clears throat> to the downside for the Dow futures. S&P futures are also down likewise, 0.58. NASDAQ futures pretty much the same, but a little more, 0.67 to the down. And S&P mini is down 0.73. So it's just, wow, it's like 49, 59, 68, 73. It just gets worse as you go down the list. Uh, Let's see. All the bonds are unchanged except for the price of the 30-year futures, which is up 0.04%. And, uh, you know, that's going to affect the yield. So anyway, screw it. Real money, $54,347.25. We have had 262,214 transactions performed in the last 24 hours. That's about 10,900 transactions on average every hour with a mere 
680,000 BTC being sent in that 24-hour period. We have 28,363 BTC being sent on the hour every hour with an average transaction value of 2.6 BTC and the median transaction value of 0.021 BTC, which is translates to roughly $1,100. Block times are high, 10 minutes and 50 seconds. We have 1.1 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 145.78 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We have had yet another dump in hash rate. We are 15.18% to the downside and we are coming in at a mere 142 exahashes per second. So I don't know what the hell happened. Something happened. I don't know. Your shitcoin indicator is down to 29 cents. That's Dogecoin in case you didn't know. But it's how you can keep track of the rest of the shitcoinery going on in the market. Now on to Clark Moody's dashboard. <clears throat> 28,000 transactions are waiting on 76 blocks to clear. We are still over $1 trillion in market capitalization and we have captured 8.79% of gold's full market cap. 30.5 30 ounces of gold is what you will get if you want to flip a Bitcoin, of which there are 18,695,035.59 BTC in circulation. And Clark has a price of 54,380 bucks on that. We have 1,227.9 BTC in the Lightning Network that has a capacity value of $66.8 million running over 10,802 nodes. Damn, we just keep gaining nodes all the time. Uh, total number of channels is 42,751, and those are the channels that we can see. It excludes private channels, by the way. The Tor capacity has gone to 57.7%. There are 708.54 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that is being run over 5,064 Tor nodes, at least the nodes that somehow or another we can see, and that's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. NVIDIA done messed up. Apparently a driver update unlocked its uh, its newer cards and allowed Ethereum mining because, you know, or, or whatever GPU, mine, GPU mineable coin is out there because it ain't Bitcoin. So if you're a gamer listening to this, please help in the FUD, in the gaming community, that this is Bitcoin's fault. Bitcoin hasn't used GPU mining since 2012, somewhere around there, okay? And I've seen a lot of gamers who want to go and, and torpedo Bitcoin mining facilities because they think that we're the cause of the fact that their cards are either unavailable or cost like three times as much to be able to get. Bitcoin does not use GPU cards any longer and hasn't done so in many years, all right? Please help combat that FUD. NVIDIA again, is limiting crypto mining on its RTX 3060 gaming graphics card. Joshua Mapperson has it from Cointelegraph. Okay, graphics card giant NVIDIA is quietly reintroducing a hash rate limiter on the 3060 series graphics card in an effort to disincentivize cryptocurrency miners. On April the 29th, the company issued the GeForce 466.27 driver that reintroduced 
the 3060 crypto mining limiter. According to sources reported by computer news site Video Cards with a Z, NVIDIA will release the new light hash rate models in mid-May, which will be almost identical to previous versions of the same card. The gaming giant had originally limited the hash on the previous models, reducing mining performance by 50%. Matt Woobling, head of global GeForce marketing at NVIDIA, said in a blog post in February, quote, we designed GeForce GPUs for gamers, and gamers are clamoring for more. Well, of course they are. Why don't you have a word with Vitalik Buterin? Hackers first came up with a workaround, and then in March, a driver update inadvertently unlocked the limiter, unleashing the card's true potential of 118 mega hashes per second, enabling the mining of Ethereum and other GPU-based cryptocurrencies. The new cards are said to be identical in every way, except that they will have a new PCI device ID of 2504, Although the unlocked driver is now in the public's hands, the new ID is designed to render them useless if used with the 40 or 470.05 driver update. It is, however, virtually certain some miners will attempt to circumvent this, and the previous models were supposed, supposedly hard-locked via the BIOS. Now, that, that doesn't help depending on how much of a hacker you're thinking about. Anyway... The news has received a mixed response among the gaming community. Video Cards Forum user Eric W. stated that the move only seems to sideline small home miners who are often gamers. Quote, well, this is a mixed bag. I want to buy a new GPU for gaming, but I also mine when I'm not actively playing games. I can't buy a mining GPU because NVIDIA seems to only sell them in quantities of several thousand, and I have no interest in having hundreds of mining rigs. End quote. User Mark suggested that the limiter would would not put miners off anyway, adding that it needs to be 90% plus to be a real deterrent to miners, while Mashed Potato believes it's just a money grab. Quote, they still want miners to buy their cards, but twice as much, end quote. According to Video Cards, limits are expected to be set on most RTX 30 series cards, Although certain models like the 3090 may not end up with a limiter due to its high price tag of $1,500. Man, I forgot how I haven't been gaming in so long outside of, you know, my son's, you know, console that I forgot about how expensive that shit was. My God almighty. Okay. $3.6 billion in Bitcoin options expires today. Here's what that means. I know, I, I keep reading these because I'm trying to wrap my head around it too, guys. So Jeff Benson, maybe this time it'll stick for me, decrypt.co. About $3.6 billion in Bitcoin options are due to expire today, uh, giving speculators their last chance to either buy the asset at a predetermined price or sell. If many investors choose the latter, expect to see more Bitcoin available in the market. If they exercise their option, it could push the price up. Data from Arcane Research pegs the number of expiring options contracts at 68,500 BTC on unregulated Deribit, the largest crypto derivatives exchange in the world. Arcane assets, uh, oh, sorry, Arcane asserts the quote max pain price to be $54,000 even. Max pain refers to the price at which the cumulative value of the option still held is the lowest. In other words, Traders don't get much of a discount compared to just buying Bitcoin on the open market, but they do experience financial losses from having bought the options and let them expire. 
Bitcoin's price has fallen in the last 48 hours from 54,800 to 52,900, meaning that exercising the option will be a game time decision for many. Quote, given how Bitcoin is currently trading around the max paying price of the April options expiry, it does seem neither bullish nor bearish for Bitcoin in the short term. On the flip side, this is the favorable expiry price for all option sellers, so they'd like prices to remain at these levels until expiry on Friday, Arcane Research Analyst Vettoli Lund told Decrypt via direct message. Bitcoin options contracts, which give traders a chance, but not the obligation, to buy BTC at a set price can typically be traded up until the last Friday of each month. They offer different price levels at which traders can pull the trigger and buy the asset. Of course, each contract is structured differently with different buy prices depending on when it was bought. In February, when $3.3 billion in options contracts were due to expire, Bquant, head of research Dennis Vinokurov told Decrypt, quote, options flows are not yet at the size where they can move the market. In Vinokurov's estimation, there was more BTC hodling than buying and selling at that point, meaning the trading would have had a neutral effect on prices. Lund said the trend is continuing, especially after the mid-April crash, when the price of Bitcoin fell from a high above $63,000 to uh, $49,000 within 10 days. Quote, in general, there seems to be more hodling right now than earlier in April, he said. However, he does see some chance that the expiries will move the market. Quote, we've seen Bitcoin rallying with force following all monthly options expiries in 2021. So the market action that large expiries provide a short-term anchor for the price, end quote. That's a point that Rob Levy, the co-founder of crypto trading platform, HXRO agrees with. According to Levy, the price of Bitcoin has a habit of dipping before the option expiry and then rising up again. Quote, it is interesting to note that this date has marked a localized low point in price for all of the past five months. Wow, that's actually, okay. I'm starting to get it, starting to get through my thick little brain here. See, I'm just not an options trader. Well, hell, I'm not a trader of in any way, shape, form, or fashion. So th there you go on that one. Um, <clears throat> Bitcoin mining in China is set for stricter supervision due to carbon concerns. Oh, bullshit. I'm calling it straight up right now. China doesn't give two shits about carbon footprint. They never have and they never will. They build coal plants like you're chewing gum, all right? And that's not an exaggeration, man. They got like 16 that they're building like right now. They don't give a shit about carbon footprint. So this, I, I'm just gonna classify this as FUD, but one of the reasons why I go ahead and go through shit like this is so that you know what you're dealing with. When, when somebody says, oh my God, China's gonna kill Bitcoin mining because of carbon footprint. Yeah, bullshit, the Chinese don't care about carbon footprint. This is something else entirely. I don't know what is up Brian Quarmby's sleeve, but he's writing it for Cointelegraph. China's crypto mining operations may be set for stricter supervision in the future, with the government reportedly concerned about the energy consumption of Bitcoin mining in particular. Beijing sent an, I love it, it's in quotes, emergency notice to conduct checks on data centers involved in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency mining operations on April the 27th, which was reportedly met with some panic in China. However, Chinese colonist Colin Wu or Wu Blockchain on Twitter was quick to downplay fears of how this could impact Chinese Bitcoin miners in the short term, noting that, quote, this caused some panic in China. 
However, the Chinese government said it was only conducting an investigation. Data centers are difficult to use for Bitcoin mining and are mainly used for ETH Filecoin, in quote, whatever. This is weird. According to Chinese state media, Peng Pai, <laughs> the emergency notice was routine work for the Beijing Municipal Bureau of Economy and Information Technology as it seeks to account for a clearer picture of the energy consumption from the mining operations of Beijing-based data centers. It has yet to be revealed if the checks will be carried out on a national scale or what the future ramifications could be. However, according to Peng Pai, Yu Jiang, the rotating chairman of the blockchain committee of the China Communications Industry Association, it's a sign of things to come. He believes that, quote, under the background of carbon neutrality, the future blockchain mining will indeed have stricter supervision, end quote. This notion <coughs> holds up when looking at Inner Mongolia for reference, which will no longer be a mining hub. Crypto miners have been given until the end of April to shut down operations after China recently banned crypto mining in the area in order to meet its new carbon reduction goals. China's 14th five-year plan outlines a set of targets, which include an 18% reduction target for CO2 intensity and 13.5% reduction target for energy intensity from 2021 to 2025. Beijing is not known as a crypto mining hub as its electricity prices are higher than other regions, which may mean other hubs such as Zhejiang and Sichuan are targeted in the future. Data from the Cambridge Bitcoin Energy Consumption Index, or CBECI, estimates Xinjiang accounted for 35% of China's Bitcoin hashing power in April and accounted for roughly 25, or sorry, 23% of the world's hash rate. More stringent mining conditions could have global effects, with some believing Bitcoin's sharp crash to $50,000 earlier this month was in part a result of Xinjiang's drop in hash rate due to power outages on or around April the 17th. Popular crypto analyst Willie Wu speculated a whale with closer knowledge to happenings in China sold off before mining pools were temporarily shut down, citing a transfer of 9,000 Bitcoins to Binance the day before on April the 16th. Yeah, <clears throat> so I still hold to the point that China doesn't give two shits about carbon footprint. This is, this is something else. As to whether it's straight up FUD, or an obfuscation of the truth, I don't know. But something about this rubs me the wrong way. Uh, you know, for somebody who's got 16 coal, my, you know, coal uh, burning power generation facilities being built right now, yeah, it doesn't sound like they're too desperately interested in lowering their CO2 emissions. I'm just saying. But even if, okay, even if, let's say it's 100% true and they're just gonna eviscerate the hash power of China, good. Have fun staying poor, you dumb motherfucker. Because what's going to happen? It's all going to move to North America where we're figuring out ways to help the environment with Bitcoin mining rather than hurting it. Okay, we're not going to be using coal power, coal power, or sorry, coal-fired electricity generation. We're going to be using solar and wind and hydropower and the very scant amount of geological power to be that we can find you know around the Yellowstone basin but there's other there's other there's so okay, look at look at it this way energy is everywhere you look look at your hands right now look at your hands 
pure energy. And I'm, I'm not lying. I'm not being like some kind of goofy philosophical, you know, like Tibetan monk kind of person. No, you're literally looking at pure energy because all of the matter in the universe is made out of pure energy. Planets, your brain, if you wear glasses, those, the walls, sheetrock, flooring, forest, water, water is energy. I mean, everything is energy. And we've never been in a situation where we really have to look at how can we process or if we look at it with the mind of a, of a permaculture designer, <coughs> what can we do to harvest lower yield energy on a wider scale whose output is better for the environment? Bitcoin miners are figuring this out hand over fist because we don't want to pay the price of coal fired energy. We just don't, and we don't want to pay. We don't want to pay the price of of nuclear generated energy, not because it's nuclear, and I'm all like a hippie or something like that. I don't have a problem with nuclear energy. I just wish we'd build thorium salt reactors instead of these GE monstrosities that were outdated by 1965. We're going to be able to do this. You know, the designer's mind is everywhere that I look at when I look at the at the Bitcoin ecosystem. It's everywhere. People are literally doing permaculture and they don't even know it. They're looking at the outputs, the inputs, and what damage that those inputs do. And that would be like methane from flared uh, oil fields. And converting it into CO2, which is 100 times less of of a nuisance when it comes to quote unquote climate change. And global warming and all that shit. But it's true. It's it's 100 times less impactful than just spewing pure methane. And it generates electricity, which can be used to run the hardest money on the face of the planet. And if somehow or another you've got grid access out there, if a situation arises and we've got a bunch of nodal you know, power generation stations instead of these centralized behemoths around the country then what we saw in Texas this last winter is less likely to happen because you can shut down the miners and just like get a check from whatever utility that you've hooked your hooked up to the grid. Well, if you've hooked up to a grid, whatever controls that, whatever utility controls that grid, you can sell them the electricity and it's more, way more decentralized. I mean, this is going to happen, dude, and it's going to be absolutely awesome when it does. So again, that notion aside or or along with the difficulty adjustment. See, this is what people don't understand. They're, they're not looking at the fundamentals. Alongside all this, and you have the difficulty adjustment and you truly understand the beauty of that system, I don't give a shit that we're at 142 exahashes per second. At in the, the difficulty adjustment will occur. It will be like a, a basically a compounded average of what the hell has happened over the last two weeks the protocol itself will say, well, here's the, here's the adjustment that's going to happen. And it will reduce the difficulty to where 142 exahashes per second or around that area is going to be just fine. Hell, we're probably, we're probably over secure, you know, uh, we're probably over secure as it is. But uh, that's why the system is so beautiful. It works in tandem, even though it doesn't know that humans are here. Bitcoin doesn't give a shit. Somehow or another, it can sense that we're here through these other means. How much hashing power has come on the network? 
When did it drop off? How long has it dropped off for? What did it drop to? And then it just chews on all that data and says, here's how I'm going to evolve in my ecosystem, even though Bitcoin itself is rather blind. Just saying, I don't worry about this China FUD and neither should you. Now, Coinbase should be concerned because ICE or Intercontinental Exchange has sold their Coinbase stake for $1.2 billion. Talk about cut and run. Tell us about, about it, Helen Parts from Cointelegraph. <clears throat> Intercontinental Exchange, the operator of the New York Stock Exchange and the owner of backed digital asset platform, has sold its 1.4% stake in the newly, wait, the newly NASDAQ-listed cryptocurrency firm Coinbase, announcing the news Thursday on a financial results call from the first quarter of 2021, ICE Chief Financial Officer Scott Hill said that the company sold its Coinbase stake for $1.2 billion. The executive noted that the sale generated approximately $900 million after taxes. Hill said that the proceeds were used to reduce ICE's debt at the end of the first quarter. He noted that the company's pro forma leverage or total indebtedness rate would have been closer to 3.6x compared to 4.2x when ICE acquired mortgage-focused software company Ellie May in September of 2020. Quote, we are definitely a bit ahead of schedule, been paying down debt faster than we sort of expected when we started this deal. I mean, I would say, sorry about that. I mean, I would say we were doing that, though before the Coinbase sale, ICE's incoming CFO Warren Gardinier added. Now, he stressed that Coinbase proceeds gave the company some additional flexibility as ICE moves into the rest of the year. Quote, we are down to about 3.6% leverage. The target is about 3.25, where we can start to think about buying back stock. Now, I'm going to end it there and talk about the stock buyback. Why did, uh, you know, like Facebook and all these other companies not buy Bitcoin? Because they're buying back their own stock with all the, they're sitting at the, they're, they're, these are the people that sit at the, at the money spigot. And what, the, what they're doing is they're just buying their stock back, which is going to make it harder for the regular public to get that stock, which drives the price higher. And they can just reflect that shit on their books and then they can borrow against it later. And it's just a great big circle jerk. It's like, it's like going to a casino and having a giant circle jerk. I hate it, but hey, we're just going to have to live with it, right? So now this one. Oh, where is it? I lost it. Coinbase debuts buy with PayPal feature, but you better read the fine print. Fees are going to kill your ass, dude. Coindesk.com's Danny Nelson tells us Coinbase is allowing U.S. users to buy cryptocurrency with PayPal uh, but uh, rather the option announced on Thursday could cost unwitting users substantial sums in fees. It is also another sign of crypto's increasing mainstream acceptance. PayPal, long coy and standoffish about the sector, began allowing users to buy crypto on its own platform last year and has gradually expanded the service. Coinbase, one of the crypto industry's oldest startups, recently listed its shares on NASDAQ. Coinbase can now be uh, can now buy up to 20 sorry Coinbase users can now buy up to $25,000 in crypto daily using PayPal according to the exchange's settings page they'll lose nearly 4% of such purchases to PayPal specific fees god 4% the PayPal integration is the third big spender option alongside bank buys via automated clearinghouse uh, also capped at 25 grand a day and wire transfers, which has no cap at all. 
needing only the PayPal login to set up, it could offer users a workaround to Coinbase's cumbersome linking process for credit and debit cards, which have a $5,000 weekly maximum, and bank accounts. Buying crypto through PayPal ranks among Coinbase's priciest payment options. The 3.99% fee is as expensive as credit card buys, despite a far higher limit, and it is markedly higher than bank buy fees of 1.49%. Depositing U.S. dollars from PayPal into Coinbase triggers a 2.5% levy. ACH transfers, however, are free. Quote, the fees cover the cost of payment processing, Eddie Lowe said, uh, or working for Coinbase as a project manager said, a Coindesk reporter previewed $25,000 of Aave buys on Coinbase using every available funding option. Choosing PayPal, the order would have triggered a $959 fee Wednesday night. The reporter's PayPal account is funded by his debit card. Paying with the bank account tied to that same debit card would cost $367 in fees for comparison. Paying with the debit card itself would not have worked because of the $5,000 weekly cap. Coinbase has provided U.S. customers with PayPal sell functions since 2016 and withdraw capabilities since late 2018. It expanded the option to much of Europe two months later. Cash withdrawals are live in the U.S., U.K., European Union, and Canada. Coinbase said in a blog it plans to expand the PayPal buying feature to more countries in the months ahead. So there you go. If you're going to be using that whole PayPal thing, you better look at what fees you're going to be paying to PayPal. And that's got to be likely on top of the fees that you're going to be paying to Coinbase. But that is going to do it for the morning roundup. Daily Train Wrecked brought to you by RGR Park. That's at RGR underscore park. A thread on how I went from $185,000 to $0 in exactly three weeks. My address is, and he gives an Etherscan address if you want to check the history using Zerion underscore IO. Let's look at it. April the 11th. Alt season was in full swing and I was holding top projects with solid fundamentals like Radixit, EXRD, Everest.org, ID coin, Alliance Block, ALBT coin, and Graffling underscore Proto as well as GLQ coin. I've never heard of these. Okay. <laughs> this is me talking. I've never heard of these. And he calls them top projects with solid fundamentals like shitcoin one, shitcoin two, shitcoin three, whatever. Things were going well, but I wanted faster gains with smaller projects. I was impatient. Then BTC started dumping, but I was too busy over trading on Uniswap buying tops and selling bottoms. By April the 20th, I'd lost over 50% over trading shitcoins. 
Then, out of desperation, on 420, I put a huge chunk of my portfolio on Snogecoin and made a partial recovery, but didn't take profit like the dumbass that I am. My portfolio has bottomed out on 426, April the 26th, at 32,000, and I took a gamble on CC coin, that's Crypto Cart CC, which allowed me to recoup some of my losses. <clears throat> then today, on this fateful day, I sold CC coin and went all into a mi micro coin from Micro Launchpad at around 22 cents. It started pumping and I was making a remarkable recovery. I tend to sell too soon, so I kept holding. Things were starting to turn around, hit 104K by 9.30 a.m. I felt good about hodling micro and went on into work. After a few hours, I decided to check on Dextool's app and saw the massive drop. Checked Twitter and confirmed rug pull. Was able to salvage 0.8 Ethereum as liquidity was luckily locked. Moral of the story, don't be a dumbass. I currently hold 93cc coin but it really hasn't fully registered. Might have to apply for a job at McDonald's soon. Hope it was a good read for you. Oh my God. <clears throat> now, is this true? I don't know. He may just be lying through his ass to get, you know, followers. But his tale is, is you know, if true, is definitely cautionary. And if he's lying through his teeth about it to get followers, it doesn't matter because this shit happens. When you... When you're talking to somebody and they're telling you about how they're investing into top projects with solid fundamentals and you've never heard of a single one of them, yeah, no. And even if you have heard of them, like I've heard of sushi, I ain't touching that shit with a 10-foot pole, dude. And no, and, and, and it's never going to happen. Okay, so now dad says jokes. We need some humor after that one. Got drunk yesterday and puked in the elevator on my way back home. It was disgusting on so many levels. Ah, good dad joke. It's Friday. Go forth. Be fruitful. Multiply. Hodl. Do all the things. And if you want to help me out, five-star reviews on Apple iTunes or any other podcasting app that allows uh, reviews would be very welcome. And also, honestly, very helpful. You know, like, subscribe, share the show. Uh, if you know somebody who's interested in, in what's going on in the space on a daily basis and wants to know more about the news while they're driving their car or taking the train into work, I try to be here every morning and have this shit ready at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time, whether it's daylight savings time or normal, like, you know, not all fucked up time, then send them my way, man. I could always use some more listeners and I would really appreciate it. That said, man, dude, I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.